Good morning, my name is Derek, and I'm the pastor at Shift Church. Did it right this morning, we were talking about that this morning. Okay, because last couple of weeks ago I said the wrong church name. So, um, but yeah, we're, I'm so excited you guys are here this morning, and um, I guess a couple of real quick things before we get too far into this is, you know, Justin talked about giving earlier, and um, you guys have, uh, because of your all's generosity, have been able to, um, we've been able to do uh, some really cool things lately, and we're going to get to do some really cool things, and, um, but one thing is we were able, our snake that runs from back here up there to the board was going kaput, that's why... I'm going to blame it on that as why I sounded horrible in the last couple of weeks, but it was probably just because I sounded bad. But um, it's a digital snake, and all it is, instead of a big honking cord, it's just an Ethernet cable running back to the board now. So that's why it has this nice, crisp sound to it. But So that's pretty exciting. So we were able to do that. There's going to be some stuff next week that you'll get to see, hopefully, if me and Justin can get that working. But something that I'm really excited about is, like, you know, we said from the beginning that we wanted to be a church that really invested time money and resources into our community of South Knoxville. Um, well, it came to my attention that, um, what well, was brought to my attention, that Southville Middle School's sound equipment has went um, haywire, okay? Um, and also, um, their lighting system has went haywire, Okay. So I get, I get a, the course teacher at the middle school goes, hey, listen, would there be any way possible, like we know you guys are a portable church, would there be any way possible we could, you guys would come set up your sound equipment um, and let us use your all stuff for the musical? And I said, absolutely. So because of your all's generosity, we're able to be able to go and do do that, and so it's gonna be. It's gonna, that's gonna be fun. So if anybody wants to come help me set up here in a couple of weeks, um, come do that. But it's gonna, like just that, just to be able to say, listen, we can help, and it's all because of your all's generosity. Because your all, your all's giving is because we're able to do um, some cool stuff like that. And hopefully next week you'll get a little excited for what you get, to, what you'll get to see. Okay, y'all ready? You ready? Here we go. So we've been in a three-part message series called When the Devil Knocks. Okay? When the Devil Knocks. You may say, be like, man, Derek, why are, you doing, why are you doing this message about the devil again? And here's what I hope you understand is that we are actually in a very real daily spiritual battle. Like, did you feel it this week? Like, did you, did you see it this week? The devil just creeping on up in there trying to get into your business. Okay? Because here's what we have to understand is that in, in other, like, what you see with your eyes is not all that there is. Like there's more out there. Like there's this spiritual world. And we, look, and we looked at a couple of verses a couple of weeks ago and where Paul said, and it's in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. It's like you're not fighting with your mother-in-law or your brother or your sister or your boss. No, you're in a battle against your spiritual enemy, which is Satan, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers of this dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. We're, we have a very real enemy. He's called Satan. He's called Lucifer. He's called the prince of darkness, the evil one, the father of lies, the destroyer, the accuser, and he has many other names in the Bible. And his mission is is to come against the people of God. 
to stop this message from going forward. So much so that Peter says in 1 Peter 5 eight, he says this, stay alert. Stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says, stay alert. In other words, be on your guard. Watch out for your great enemy because you really only have one enemy and that is Satan. According to Jesus, he came on a mission. Jesus came to bring life and bring abundant life. But Jesus also said the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy all that he is setting up. What Satan wants to do is he wants to steal your joy, kill your peace. He wants to destroy your contentment. He will attack every single day. He's going to attack your finances. He's going to attack your friendships. He's going to attack your body. He will attack your marriage. And he'll attack your spiritual life. He's on the attack trying to rob the people of God from the blessings that God has for them and wants for their lives. And so in this message series, what we've been doing is looking at three metaphors, three metaphors or three images of Satan so that we can maybe help. And I believe these are the three biggest categories that will help us in our battle against the evil one. So week one, we, talked, we said this, that we said that, the, that, that, that week number one, we said that he, he looked like a deceiver, like Satan is a deceiver. And it says this, and he is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. He is the deceiver who attacks your mind with lies. He's going to lie to you. He's going to twist God's word to make you think that God really didn't say that because you only live once. Just kidding. And we also said this in week two. We called him the accuser. Who is Satan? What did we say? He was, he, Satan is the accuser who attacks your heart with accusations. Like, have you ever felt accused? Like, you heard the voice in your head saying, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You can't believe you. You, don't, you can't do that. You, you see that? You can't, Derek, you can't be a pastor. Look at all that stuff you did in your past. See, because remember what we said? We said before, when he would talk about God, he would lie. But when he would talk to us about us, he accuses. He makes accusations. He accuses us, tries to make us feel like we're unworthy. And then this week, and this one's, this week's going to be very important. Because I think a lot of this, is we, like us as people, we look over this in our lives. It's the hardest one to pick up on, okay? And it's, and it's the idea that Satan is the destroyer. Well, how does he destroy Derek? I mean, we can think, all think of things of how Satan destroyed things, right? But how, what does that look like in your life? Again, it's hard, it's hard to picture that. Here's what, I, here's what I think it is. Satan is the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. He attacks your will with pride. He's the destroyer who attacks your will with pride. I see, I used to think that the devil would only attack you when you're down and when you're weak and when you're vulnerable. And he will do that. Trust me, he will do that. But I've also learned that he loves to attack you when you're strong 
and when things are going really good. See, some of you right now, you may be in a better season of your life. Like, you're doing great. Well, all things are good. I don't have to worry about much. And, and this may be the time in this great season of your life where Satan is attacking you and you don't even know it. When you're least on alert, realizing that your enemy may be attacking you. He often does come during, the t- during rough times when he'll kick you while you're down, but he'll attack you when things are going well. And so what I want to do today is show you an Old Testament story that many, like for most of us, won't, we won't, won't be familiar to us. Like we'll know this person, but we won't necessarily know this story. And it's, cause it's, it's about a time when Satan poisoned a very strategic attack against King David. King David's in the Old Testament. He was, if you don't know the story of King David, go back and read the Old Testament. It's a wonderful story, but he was just an ordinary shepherd boy while Israel was in a battle against another nation. But here's the crazy thing about this, about this, about this battle is, is that they had this giant named Goliath on the other side. And he happened to show up there at the camp one day and seen the Israelites, who were God's people, scared of what was standing across the valley from them. And he said, why are you so scared? Do you not realize we serve the living God? I'll I'll go there and fight that Philistine myself. And he goes over and he kills Goliath. And it was like overnight... Overnight, he, like, he became this media, social media bombshell, right? People knew who he was. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? Like he's, and then he was anointed the king of Israel, and he, and he rises to the height of power. He's a war hero. When David goes out with his mighty men, the Bible talks about, he, he would return with victory. Like This is a good season for David. Like things are going great. He's king. He's winning his battles. Doing his, I mean, think about this. Women are writing songs about him and standing in the street singing about him. Like how many of you guys wish you'd just pull up in your driveway and see your wife come out singing a song that she wrote about you? Right? Like David is at the height of everything. They're singing about this guy. I mean, like he, like, yeah, he stumbles. Not, but he, he stumbles not when he's weak. Or vulnerable, but he stumbles because of what? We'll see in a minute. His pride. His pride. So if I was to ask, hey, what is what was David's greatest sin? Do you think? And some people might say, well, it's when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, because that's what he's known for, right? Looking off the king, off the castle, and be like, girl, that girl looked good. Ah, right, that's mine. And maybe if some of some people think might think a little deeper, might say, "Well, it's perhaps murdering her husband Uriah." Like that was bad. Like not only did you commit adultery, but you had her husband killed when you found out she was pregnant. Like that's pretty. That's a pretty big, pretty big deal. But I would argue, if we take a step back, that we could actually find perhaps, maybe. I believe so. His biggest struggle, along with many of us, probably, probably really was the root sin of pride. Think, think about it this way, and we'll get to some of this here in a minute. But because David, because David 
David's adultery, four people indirectly died. Okay? You know the story, the little baby died, Abnon died, Absalom died, and of course he had Uriah killed. Four people dead because of this story. Because of, but because of David's sin of pride that we're about to look, look at, is we're going to see because of his sin of pride, 70,000 people were killed because of this filthy, horrendous sin of pride. So that's what we're going to look at when the enemy attacks us. Not just when we're weak, that we're going to see, but when we're proud, when we have a lot. So if you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to First Chronicles 21. It tells us exactly what Satan did to David. And it starts out with saying this, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. First Chronicles 21. Okay, so what did he do? Satan came, Satan came at David when he was confident. Like he had just won some major battles. He was victorious. He was strong. And he incited David to take a census of Israel. David's at the top of his game. He's winning battles. And Satan comes up and says, you're pretty powerful, aren't you, David? You're pretty amazing. He says, you're pretty amazing. I mean, you are in real life, too. I'm just saying, you know. You conquered kingdoms. And now you have all these people under your command. David, you should total them up. And just see how strong, just how powerful you are. Because so, we can't just guess about your domination. We have to know. We have to, we have to know your strength. David, you should take a census to count up those you rule in your kingdom. Because you are mighty, you're strong, you're worthy of honor. Just how, how worthy are you, David? Count up the people and see how incredible you are. Now, you may look at this and say, like, was it really wrong for David to take a census? No. Wasn't wrong to take a census. What was wrong, though, it was the motive behind the census. Because the motives matter to God. Taking a census isn't bad. Like, Moses took a census. And what he would actually do, Moses would do, he would give every man, man over the age of 20 and give them half a shekel. And this was known as atonement money or ransom money. And what, what he was doing is saying is like, this represents the honor to our God because he saved you. Like he was, how many people did God save? See how many people God actually set free. You see, Moses' census' goal, there's too many S's in there, was, was to give honor to God. But what David, with David, the goal was to bring honor to what? Himself. Bring honor to himself. And it was disgusting in the eyes of God. Let me give you an example. In my own life, you know, I've told a lot of stories lately, so making myself sound really bad, but it's okay. I was a youth pastor, of course, as y'all know, for eight to ten years. And um, one year, okay, one year I got, we got this little, this little plaque from the TBC, okay? And you think, think of all the Tennessee Baptist Convention churches in the world, okay? Think of all the Tennessee Baptist Conventions in the world, churches. I mean, there's like, 
There's a lot of them, right? And in youth discipleship, we were number 99. So they go, yeah, you know? So look what I did. Look at this number. This is what, this is what we did. So I got, started going to school. I started going to school, too, about this time, and I got my bachelor's degree, and like, I got, look what I accomplished. And it started building up something in me that made me feel, I, it wasn't a, like, I didn't really think this way, but it, like, my actions showed that internally, intrinsically, I kind of felt like I was better than everybody because of the way I treated people, how I talked down to people. It was pride. It was glorifying me and not glorifying God. Like, we, I, like I would brag about the things I would accomplish, not what God did. This was pride. And Satan loves to attack you when you're full of pride. See, I didn't realize that my only role was to point people to Jesus. My job here. I don't ever want to lose that again. But when I'm weak and vulnerable and full of sin, suddenly I want to glorify, I want the glory myself. Just like David did. Let me tell you how big my church is. Let me tell you how big my youth Like I remember talking with other youth pastors in Granger County, being like, my youth group's bigger. We have cooler stuff. We do our own camp every summer. And it's awesome. Y'all should come. And it wasn't that you should come experience God. It was a, you should come see what we do. Yesterday at, yesterday at uh, Home Depot, I was talking to a guy. And he's like, how big's your church? And I'm like, a couple people. How big's your church? Okay. I felt, but I felt that in me, right? I felt it in me, that pride in me, like. Let me tell you the people, let me, let me tell you the people I counted up. It's the very same thing, and it's disgusting to God. It's disgusting to God. And it's heartbreaking. And it's still an issue that I, that I, that I have to deal with in my life. And this was also David's issue. And it's, it's easy to see in other people, right? But it's hard to see it in yourself. That's what's so challenging about it. It's so difficult to see in the mirror. It's easy to see other people, but it's difficult to see it in yourself. That's why Joab, um, David's friend, was the guy who was, he was very loyal to David. And he was the commander of David's troops. And he saw it big time in David. And this is what he says in 1 Chronicles 21, verses 6 and 7. He says, But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed. Some versions say he was like, he was, I mean, he was disgusted. But it says he was distressed at what the king had made him do. Made him do. And verse 7 says this, God was very displeased with the census and he pushed Israel, punished Israel for it. So Joab didn't include Levi and Benjamin's tribe in the numbering. In other words, he didn't count them, leaving them, them out. And why? And it's because 
the king's command was repulsive to Joab because he knew the motive behind it. And if we were to keep reading this story on, it's really heartbreaking. It's a heartbreaking story of how 70,000 people died because David took the census all out of self-pride. So which was worse, adultery or pride? Well, adultery is pretty bad. But listen, pride probably caused it. I'm king of Israel. I see that girl. She's looking good. I want some of that. I deserve it. I'm king. Like, I deserve that because look at who I am. And see, this is what David said about his sin of adultery when all this, when he was talking to Nathan, this is what he said in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. That's what he said about the adultery. But when he committed the sin of pride, when he put an adjective in it, he didn't just say, I've sinned against the Lord, but look what he says in 1 Chronicles 21, 8. Then David said to God, I have sinned, what? Greatly. I have sinned greatly in taking this census. I've sinned greatly by doing this. The deadly sin of pride. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, okay? You can write this down. You may never be more vulnerable than when you are full of pride. You may never be as vulnerable as when you're full of pride. Some of you, you're vulnerable right now because you don't, you don't know you're full of it. We all know other people that are full of it, right? But we're, we don't understand that we're full of it. See, pride, pride creeps up in us. See, there's this guy, his name was Uzziah, and he built this great, like he was this great man in the Old Testament. He did, like, he did some pretty cool stuff. Like he had this innovative war idea. And because of that, he rose to fame he rose to power, and his pride took him over. And, this, and you know what the Bible says about him? It says, but when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to what? His downfall. Pride can take you out of leadership. Pride can take, you, take your credibility. Pride can hurt your marriage. Pride can hurt your intimacy with God. Pride can hurt your friendships. Pride can lose your credibility in your witness. Pride took him down, and that's why Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before the fall. Like, how do we see it in our lives around us today? Like, how does it manifest in us? Maybe it's like, Man, I'm, I'm too holy. I don't ever do anything like that. Can you, can you believe she's doing that? Oh, my God. Like, I'm so holy. I'm walking around here all holy. I mean, like, you never see me do those kind of things. I, know, I mean, I know God's word. And I'm, I'm at church every weekend. But, oh, Lord, look at her. Or look at him. In fact, we really need to pray for Bobby Sue. Because I saw her with that man again. And we turn gossip into prayer requests, right? And it's like, get the log out of your eye before you can speak out the other person's, right? Or maybe, maybe it's like this. Um, 
Calling all prayer warriors, that's a good one right there. I would, like, what about, I'm a self-made person. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps my, all by myself. Oh, yeah, who gave you the hands to pull up them bootstraps? Not you, God did. Okay? That's a whole different point. Like, I've earned everything I've got. I've got a lot, and it's because I've worked really hard. You should have seen all that I've accomplished. Or it might be like, I know I, I know I have got some problems, but I can't let anyone know about them. So I'm going to keep them to myself and make people think that I'm okay. I've got to keep my reputation up. But I'm not gonna, so I'm not going to talk about my problems. Or it might be one of those, and this is one that I struggled with big time, because where I was before, I felt like I did everything. Did I do everything? No, I almost lay that out there. I didn't do everything, but perception was, and the way I felt was that I did everything, and it's like, well, I do everything around here. Like, I, I do everything. See, I, see I, the only thing I don't do is preach on Sunday mornings. Like, look at me. And all this is disgusting to God. And we may never be more vulnerable than when we are full of pride. So how does God, how does God feel, feel toward pride? This is what he says in, it, in James 4, which James is the stepbrother of Jesus. Okay, and here's what he says. God opposes the proud. The Greek word translated as opposes is a military term that bring the full force of an army against. In other words, you stand and say, I deserve the glory and God does, and, and glory that God deserves. God, God has every bit of power poised against you in that moment. God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. So verse 7 says, So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. It means, it means to, to humble yourself, means to voluntary, voluntarily rank yourself under, to choose submission to the one who, that ranks higher than you. See, I don't know anything about military stuff that much or that much about how police force works, but let's say this. If you're this little, you know, peon officer, whatever, I'm just using that word because that is, and then you had the, your captain, you can't just go, what's up, captain? Could you? There's a sense of respect you have to submit under, right? Or what? You get knocked out or something. I don't know. You get fired. I don't know. So I don't know anything about that stuff. But we have to submit ourselves under. That's what humble means, to submit under. When you submit to God, you have the power of God. You have the presence of God. You have the strength of God. After you submit to God, then you can resist the devil. It's after you submit your life to God. Because if you're not a believer in here, you've not submitted your life to God, you have, like, you've lost already. You've lost already. But when we're, but when we're submitted under God, that's when you, we can resist the devil. Devil, get away from me. You have no place here. You have no power here. Not today. 
Not in my house, not in my family, not in my finances, not in the people that I love. You resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not because you're strong, but because the power of God in you is stronger than the evil one. When you submit to God, you have the strength of God. You're able to resist the devil by the power of God, and the devil will flee from you. And that's why verse 8, the beginning of verse 8 says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. So what do you do? You don't elevate yourself when the devil tries to attack you and get your pride built up. You don't listen to him. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You humble yourself before the Lord when he comes to God, and the evil one will flee. When it comes to heaven and hell, when it comes to light and darkness, when it comes to the power of good, when it comes to the force of evil, there's no middle ground. You don't kind of love God. You, you don't sort of follow Jesus. We have to totally submit. We voluntarily rank under that's so why we said your, his word, we have to know his word because his word is a guide. His spirit empowers us. The same power that conquered the grave, if you're believers, lives in you. If we've submitted our lives, we have that power and he has to flee from us. We need to understand you're never more vulnerable than when you're full of pride. Because that's when we're declaring independence from a God. We're using the lungs he created us to breathe with, the vocal cords he created us to speak with, the mind he created us to think with, the hands. Like we're declaring with the things he created, I don't need you when we boast our pride. The very person who created the feet you have to work with, the hands you have to, to sculpt with, you're taking those very hands and saying, I know you gave me these, but I don't need you. I did it all by myself. And I'm just like, no, we can't. We have to be complete dependence on God. I need you moment by moment. I need you guiding me. I need you directing me. I need your word taking my steps upon your path. I need your spirit comforting me, convicting me, because conviction is good. Because it leads me to God, not from God. I need you for my next breath. I need you for my next decision. I need you to help me now. I need you, I need you to help to know how to love this person when I don't know how to love. Because sometimes it's hard to love people, right? I need your strength when I'm weak. I need you every second, every moment. This is humility. When we break down and go, I know I can't do life alone. That's why when I look at people who are not believers, I was like, I don't see how they get, how they get through the circumstances they go through without having some sort of hope. When we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. There's no middle ground. It's all Jesus, all Jesus, all Jesus every day. Because he is everything. Why do you think that he opposes the proud? Why would he bring the full force of everything he has to oppose those who are proud? It's very likely because all the way back, even before creation of the world, Lucifer, the one that God loved, battled with a root sin of what? Pride. 
they ended up taking him down. If you remember the first week, what we talked about, what his job was. Remember, there was three archangels, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And Lucifer was a beautiful angel. Satan was a beautiful angel. And his job was to, was to be the worship leader. But he started wanting the praise that was due to God only. His pride built up in him. He wanted to be like God. And that's why God had to cast him down. And God's looking at us and saying, please don't make the same decision Satan did. You see, Satan says this phrase, like if you, if you, read, if you read the Old Testament, Isaiah, he says this thing several times in here, and Satan does. It just shows you where his mindset is and where, why God doesn't want us to be like him. He says this in Isaiah 14, 14, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. That's what Satan said. That's pride. I will make myself like the most high. Lucifer was all about my will. Jesus was all about thy will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus pray? Thy will be done. If you could take this cup from me, please take it. But ultimately, he says, your will be done. On a, you know, that's why the prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he would say, Daddy, Father, if there's any other way, may this cup of suffering be removed from me than in submission and humbleness to God, his Father. He goes, I voluntarily rank under you. Nevertheless, he said, not my will. What did Satan do? My will. I want, I need this. But thy will, not my plan, God, but your plan. It's not about me. I'm not here to... I'm here to glorify you. It's not about my importance. It's about your kingdom. It's not about my popularity. It's about your sovereignty. It's not about my wishes. It's your will. Not my will, but your will be done. Humility is not weakness. Because when you humble yourself, you have the strength of God in you. You are never, ever weaker than when you're full of pride. But if you're taking notes, you can write this down. But you're also never, ever stronger than when you are humble before God. Because when you submit to God, He fills you with His presence. Then you have the power to say, I resist you. Not today, devil. Not today. You have no business here. Get behind me. Not in my house. Not in my family. It's the power of Christ dwelling within me that gives me the power to say that. We're in a spiritual battle. And if you're not under attack, it's not that you're not under attack, it's you are under attack. And how do we fight back? You have the armor of God. You have the breastplate of righteousness. You have the shield of faith, which quenches the fiery darts of the evil. You have the belt of truth because the truth will set you free. You have the shoes prepared with the gospel of readiness, of peace, and you have one offensive weapon, and it's the Word of God. It's sharper than any double-edged sword, and it's full of power. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, Jesus, and dwelt among men. Like he left his throne to come down to earth to give us the power to die and rise from the dead to give us the power to defeat the one. 
Because it was Jesus who cast him out to begin with. It's only through him can we defeat this. But yes, we need to know the word of God. And it's important for you to read your Bibles. But John 1 says it's so much more than that. Because it says the word became flesh. It became Jesus came. It's what the whole book's about. From Genesis to Revelation. Old Testament, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. The, the Gospels, he's here. And the rest of the book is, he's coming back again. Satan, you can try to, attract, try to attack me when I'm weak, and you can try to attack me when I'm strong. But I'm here to tell you that because not only do I have the word, but I have the word. You have no room here. I'm going to do a message sometime, but, you know, one of the, you know, one of the most famous psalms, psalms in, the, in, the, in, the, in the book of psalms is, you see that funeral, so I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for he is with me, right? Later on in that verse, in that, in that chapter, he says, he, says that, he says, I have prepared a place for you in the midst of your enemies. I've prepared a table for you in the midst of your enemy. It's like he's, here you are in the middle of this battle, right? In the middle of this, can you pull, just pull it up there? See, see if you pull it up. I don't want to read because it's, it's this amazing description for us to think about. See if we can pull it up. See how close we can get it. You shouldn't want, as soon as you click on it, it automatically go up there. It's Psalms 26. We're going to read it, but I'll just tell you this. Like, it's like he, he prepares a table before, before your enemy. Like he prepared a table for who? You. Who are you letting sit at your table? Because the only people that's allowed to sit at your table is the one that you invite to sit there. Right? So why let the devil have a seat at your table? You've invited him there. You've let him in. Is he able to find it? Go ahead and put it up there. If you can. Go all the way back to the beginning. Verse 1. We'll just read the whole chapter. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect me. They comfort me. You prepare a feast. Or you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Like he... He was like, even in Psalms, he's saying, you're going to go through some stuff. But I've made every provision for you to get there. And that provision is me. So who are you bringing to your table? Because the only person allowed there is you and him. And if anybody else sits there, it's because you let them in there. 
We fight with the word. We fight with the truth. We fight with the word. We fight with the truth. When the devil attacks our pride, hey, you got it going on. You don't need anybody's help. You can't do you can do it all yourself. You're pretty important. I mean, look at you. He's pulled out a seat and he's sitting down there at the table. I mean, look at you. You got that shoes, you got that purse, you got that house, you got that car. You got that name. Don't let anybody else know you're hurting. Don't let anybody else know, know else tell you what to do. Who are they? It's their problem, not your problem. You don't need anybody else. You don't even need church, man. You can just do this thing on your own. You don't need other people. It's all about you, man. They need to show more respect to you. You're the only one. That gets done, gets anything done here. No, you draw the sword. I will humble myself before the Lord, and He will lift me up in due time. Because I'm called by your name. I will humble myself in prayer and seek your face. And heaven will hear my prayers, and you will forgive me my sins, and you will heal my land. And I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for you alone are good. You are my rod and you are my staff. Your mercies endures forever. You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you. My soul longs for you in a dry and weary land. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. Because your mercy endures forever. Not to us. Not to us, but to your name be the glory because your goodness and your faithfulness for generations. Less of me, more of you. Less of me, more of you. Because of who you are, I voluntarily submit my life under your lordship. Why? Because you are king of kings. Because you are lord of lords. Because you are alpha and omega. The beginning and the end. The first and alas, the soon returning, conquering king who comes with a sword coming out of his mouth declaring your word. Because you are righteous, because you are true, because, because mortal man cannot look upon you in the purest essence and live. Because you are my redeemer, because you are my savior, because you are my friend, because you are my rock, because you are my righteousness, because you sent your son to do for me what I couldn't do for myself, because he came to give me life and life more abundant. And it's because the devil is a liar, the father of lies, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Christ is greater. See, a lot of times we get, we get and I'm going way over, and I'm sorry, but listen, like, a lot of people, when we read stories in the Old Testament, we try to put ourselves in the story in the wrong place. Do you hear people talk about, hey, like you're David and you're facing some Goliath? No. You're Israel, the army, cowering back in the corner. David is Jesus. And Goliath is what you're facing. You're back here scared, crying. Oh, please save me. David is a picture of God and he's saying not today devil you're not treading over on this side of the valley you're done with it's all him 
So quit interjecting yourself into the wrong part of the story. Because when we start to realize that we can't, that we can't defeat those things in our life, and we really start realizing that we are that army that's cowering in the, in the corner and that David is a picture of Jesus, like that's Jesus facing that Goliath. There is no Goliath bigger than the cross. Nothing. It's because when you realize, when you are weak, that's when he's strong. Be weak today. Be broken today. Be courageous enough to ask for help today. Call in his name. Because you don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. And you don't have what it takes. You're not strong enough to face this alone. We have to realize that we're weak. See, the lie is, is that we stop there. We stop. We believe that, yes, we are weak. And that we're, the lie is that we can't go on. But there, we can because we have Christ in us. Because you weren't designed any other way but to need him meaning Jesus and to need his people because it says where two or three are gathered what there he is in their presence we gather together to glorify him he is our righteousness he is our redeemer you're never more vulnerable than when you are full of pride and you are never ever stronger and when you're broken before him. So be broken today. Don't let this pride issue get to you. Be okay with being broken. Be like the woman with a blood ailment. She realized she was broken. We talked about that months ago, right? And he looks down and calls her daughter. Be the woman who was at who was, who was brought before Jesus to be judged to because she, she was a prostitute. And he says, she knew she was broken. She deserved to be stoned. And she said, he said, go and sin no more. Get to that part where God can tell you to go on. Move on. Be who I created you to be. Not, and that's not someone who is defeated by the devil. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for being a God who, uh, a God who wants to heal his children. And God, I pray that, um, I pray that all the hearts here, I, I pray that they, they realize the brokenness in their own hearts. And God, I pray that as, as we, as we, as we, in this service that they become fully devoted to you, like fully embracing, fully humble to yourself. And God, I pray that as, 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 as we close out this service, that this is the moment, maybe it's the first time that people realize, that people realize that they are broken. That they are the children of Israel cowering in the corner, afraid to die. And may we trust in David, trust in you. And trust our need for you to rescue us from what we face in life. May the pride that Satan tries to, to, to issue to us, may we lose that. Because we don't want to fall. God, I thank you for this series and what it's meant for me.
know that every day the devil is going to attack me, but I know that I have your word. Not only your word is what I can read, but your word in my heart. That's you. I pray all this in your name.